smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the Unprecedented Podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. I am your co-host Cliff Schechter here with the other guy who co-hosts, John Aravosis. Hey, John. Hello. <laughs> um, we have a lot to talk about today, but we're lucky enough to have uh, an awesome, interesting guest with us. Uh, we have Stuart Stevens here. You may know Stuart. You should know Stuart. Uh, longtime Republican political consultant, uh, author currently of It Was All a Lie. Um, let's see, what's the subtitle of that? How the Republican Party Became Donald Trump. Um, and I, I could go on because I find Stuart absolutely fascinating. He wrote the what episodes of Northern Exposure and the Ides of March. He wrote the were you a consultant on that, Stuart? I was a consultant. We have to talk about that because yeah. I live in Cincinnati. So I'm, I'm you know, but beyond ah. that. Um, and he uh, is also a travel writer, you know, obviously. <laughs> Stuart, Stuart I, seriously, I find you incredibly uh, interesting. But he's now come out against the Republican Party, is an advisor to the Lincoln Project. And just so you know at what level he reached, he was Mitt Romney's top strategist in 2012. He also was a top strategist for George W. Bush. And I could go on a name a litany of Republican senators and others. But we'll leave it there. Welcome to the show, Stuart. Hey, listen, guys. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Um, where do you want to start with all this fun, John? The big question. Do you want to ask? Well, we should start with the book, which is pretty simply, um, it was all a lie. What do you mean by that? What was a lie? Look, you know, um, I think back in the dark ages, like four years ago, um, <laughs> Those of us who uh, considered ourselves Republicans would have said we disagree on some issues, but there's a, a sort of bedrock of values, of principles that we do agree. And so what were those? Um, personal responsibility, character counts, strong on Russia, uh, the deficit matters, fiscal sanity, um, free trade, uh, very strong pro-legal immigration. I mean, Ronald Reagan announced in front of the Statue of Liberty, signed legislation that made everybody in the country before 1983 legal. Um, so we would have said, you know, these things unite us, and they're sort of non-negotiable. Uh, and we can talk about how we're going to implement these values in a society, but these are core values. Right. So then Trump comes along, and it's not that we sort of have drifted away from these ideas, which parties do from time to time, is that we're actively against every one of these ideas. So where the the character doesn't count, I mean, we're not electing a preacher, you know, it's what does it matter if he goes out and defends someone who's arrested for, you know, being at the center of an international child rape ring. Um, but we're Putin's poodles. Um, we seem to be pretty much to the left, as far as I can figure it out, of Bernie Sanders on trade. Right. Um, we're against all immigration, which now we've successfully closed all the borders. Um, we're keeping those Canadians from driving their Lexuses down. And without Canadians. the wall, even how did we, how did we do it without uh, yes. a wall? We did it without a wall. We've managed to become, you know, prisoners. Um, and uh, I asked myself in this process, and this has been a process for me, um, a painful process. Uh, how do people abandon deeply held beliefs in a few years? So the only conclusion I came to was like, you didn't believe it. It wasn't deeply held. Right. Um, 
you know, in 16, I went out. I mean, a lot of people were wrong about Donald Trump, but it really is hard to find anybody who was more <laughs> wrong than me. Um, I predicted he wouldn't win the primary and the general election. And in retrospect, I said that a lot because I didn't want to believe it. Right. I didn't want it to believe that this party that I invested all this, you know, effort, uh, time, parts of my life into would accept Donald Trump because it seemed to be a complete uh, mockery of everything that we said we stood for. Um, and then once Trump got elected, there was a number of us that sort of told ourselves and sometimes said publicly, well, you know, Donald Trump isn't really the Republican Party. Right. But I don't really see how you sustain that. Uh, he is the Republican Party. And when Trump says that he has 95 percent favorables, that's an exaggeration like everything Trump does. But say it's 90, 88. I mean, the Republican Party is the party that endorsed Troy Moore. Right. And right. attacked. John Bolton, by the way, which is just mind boggling. Um, so, um, you know, I started what led me to this book was sort of like, how did this happen? How did I get this so wrong? Um, and I, I really went back and tried to look at the history of the post-World War II Republican Party. And it became clear to me that there really were always these two strands of the party um, in a simplified sense too. there's really more, but let's call it two. There was the Eisenhower wing and the McCarthy wing in the 50s. And this tension sort of played itself out. And I know, I mean, I went down in, to Austin in the spring of 99 to work on Bush and stayed through our landslide. Um, and that uh, in a concept that, that the governor called compassionate conservatism. And if you remember when he came up with this, he was criticized by a lot on the right. They said, okay, so are you telling me that conservatism isn't compassionate? Has it been seen that way? And, and Bush's answer to that was pretty much, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And we have to change. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we were uh, on the right side of history. And that there was inevitability to, to the party growing. That we had these, we acknowledged these tremendous failure, particularly to attack African-Americans. We aspire to attract more Hispanics, work at it, um, ask ourselves what we had done wrong. So then you look at Bush's first big piece of legislation, it's No Child Left Behind. And it's extraordinary when you go back and you look at that. I mean, the picture of a signing, he signed there at the Oval Office to take Kennedy over his right shoulder. I mean, today that would be submitted like a war crimes tribunal. Right. You know, I mean, Sean Hannity would be like, you know, here, put this guy in the Hague. Um, I just, uh, I, I, the way I started thinking about it was what, what I thought and others thought that agreed with me um, was a recessive gene in the party turned out to be the dominant gene. Right. And all this stuff that we said that the party believed in, uh, they were just marketing slogans. Um, and it, it really didn't mean anything. Um, and here we are. Why yeah. can I ask? Why didn't it mean more to the rank and file Republicans? I could see how the leadership <clears throat> might have been just BSing, maybe. But why? And I, I mentioned to you by email earlier. You know, I used to be a Republican. I worked for Ted Stevens back in the late eighties, early nineties. In my case, came out as gay and realized like there's no way I could embrace this party. <laughs> you know, just it, just on the intolerance thirty years ago. But but I still have you know in my heart the the idea of sucking up to putin makes me want to 
claw my eyes out. And I have a hard yep. time believing there aren't more Republican voters who watch this stuff and go, you got to be kidding me. In other words, I understand the leadership could be faking it, but how is the how are rank and file Republicans not rising up going, this is sick? Well, you know, um, I've thought about that a lot. Yeah. Um, there should be more of you, and there aren't, I fear. A fantastic question. And, you know, one of the conclusions I came to was that leaders really matter. I go back to the 30s. There was a huge fascist movement in America, um, but we didn't become fascist. There was an America first, but we didn't. Now, why? A lot of countries in Europe did, probably because Roosevelt was president. So if Lindbergh had been president, we would have been the same country, and we probably would have become a fascist, isolationist, uh, pro-German country. Right. Um, And we would have been the same country, but we were led in a different direction. No, I think that's an important so, point because I often look and, and think we were we were lucky at certain times in our history that a certain leader was there or who knows what direction yeah. it would have gone in, right? I mean, the obvious being Lincoln, but there's others too. Teddy Roosevelt, even another Republican who helped right. obviously break up some of the big trusts. So it is kind of, you know, at, at this point in our history, had the had had a Republican stepped up who uh you know defended the values that they claim to support it would who knows what ends up happening you know but instead you get you get trump who of course i mean obviously stands against virtually all of them to the point of of, i mean where it horrifies all of us and we're all wondering what exactly putin has on him um so i mean i think that's a that's a great point leaders i mean it's kind of like we always say candidates matter right leaders matter you know i think we all have dark sides within us um and it's it's really a question of how uh, what what part of our self is validated as our best self, and you know as our society for the most part we we're taught from an early age by parents, teachers, coaches, you know, other parents, neighborhoods, you know, Boy Scout leaders, Girl Scout leaders, certain values, you know that that. Sharing is good. The kindness is good. Um, the compassion is good. That helping others is a virtue. Um, that you should uh, uh, count your blessings. All these cliches that are embedded in American society. And Trump is uh, invalidates all of those. And Trump, you know, we all have that moment of road rage when someone cuts us off in traffic. Trump tells you that's your best self. And that you're a sucker if you let that person cut you off. And I, I, I think um, it's tragic, and I think it has immensely negative impacts uh, on our country, because history says that once a, a major political party validates hate, it's very difficult to undo that. Right. Um, and that's what's happened with the Republican Party. Well, the Republican you, Party has embraced on. hate yeah. as a virtue. How do you and, save Republican voters who don't want to be saved? Well, I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I was sort of, it sort of came no, to me when I you mean, were talking. I, I, or am I wrong? Really do they, do, am I wrong? Do they not want to be saved? I, I, or, but well, I feel so look, like, here, here's, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like you really are an anachronism almost because the party has gone nuts. And guess what? We found out that a lot of Republican no. voters really do love a fascist. 
They want somebody so, to tell them what to think. So here's a little interesting, you know, focus group, you could call it, uh, hmm. to that point. There's another Republican Party out there. Uh, these very successful governors in blue states, like I'm in Vermont, Bill Scott, uh, wildly right. popular. Uh, Larry Hogan. Larry Hogan, Maryland. Yep. Charlie Baker. I work for all these guys. Right. So here's what's fascinating. They are wildly popular in their states. They're just competent public servants. They can't control their own state parties. They can't put a chairman of their own state party, even though they're this incredibly popular. They're Trumpist hmm. in each of these state parties. And the idea of a governor, a popular governor, not be able to control his own state party or put his own chairman in, it's like, are you kidding me? Right. That never that never would happen. I mean, it was just de facto. The governor's the leader of the party. That they're they're so they're in a way they they are Republicans without a party themselves. That's and a point. I think that the, that just bodes well. You know, I I, I had the experience, and it, it, it literally. I mean, it just it just stunned me. I went back and I read Bush's acceptance speech in two thousand. And I was there when Michael Gerson wrote this speech as he went through drafts. I was there the first time that Governor Bush read it. And you go back and you read that speech, and it is like a document from a lost civilization. <laughs> I mean, it's like stumbling like something from the Mayans. Hmm. It, 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 talking about compassion, humility, service. It, it's like that was a part. I mean, now, look, I don't think in Bush where we were perfect. And a lot of my goal in this book was to be self-critical because I didn't want to write a book that said, look at what these other people did. I mean, I was part of this. And if one of the, Which I find the most fascinating group, part, to be honest with you, Stuart, is that, well, uh, I mean, that you, one you do self-reflect. Well, one of the principles that drew me to the Republican party was personal responsibility. It seems like you have to start with personal responsibility. <laughs> that seems I mean, it's, you know, um, so, I, I mean, I think we play too much on the dark side in the Bush world, but we aspired to something better. And I think that aspiration is really important um, because we're all imperfect. The society's imperfect. What are you striving to become? So that's reflected, I think, in, uh, across the board uh, in, in a policy sense. Um, it's reflected. Um, but also, I think it's important that Ken Melman went to the NAACP. He was chairman of the GOP in 2005 and apologized for the Southern strategy because yeah. only in acceptance of your own mistakes can we advance forward. Well, and to his credit, Ken worked on gay marriage, you know, uh, yes. you know, after yes. mind you, after using anti-gay as, as part of the 2004 campaign, but I still give the guy credit for coming around and saying, our darkest, hey, you know what? Our darkest legacy yeah. in my, my opinion. You know, well, but at least you can, I mean, at least a number of you, I mean, David from David was raising uh, money for gay marriage in Maryland uh, back. I forgot when I'd met him, maybe it was 2013. I don't recall. So, I mean, at least you guys have tried to make amends, which is great, but, but I still want to go back to, and I guess this is maybe the whole idea behind your book, but can this party be, sa not, not just, can this party be saved? Because I'm still not convinced that no. the, Cliff and I, well, here, let me throw this at you real quick. Cliff and I talk about this a lot on the show. Right. Our biggest, our biggest next fear is a Trump that is way smarter than this jackass getting elected next time. Which could be Tom. I don't Cotton. listen, guys. Be, I, I don't know. I, I, Maybe he's I just not that, that smart. But go ahead. I think – no, he's a, he's a 
Tom is a rock. Um, <laughs> I, and, and listen, let me tell you, the people that surrounded him, it's not that these people all of a sudden woke up and wanted to work in presidential politics. All the presidential campaigns I worked in, they tried to get hired. Nobody would come near them. I mean, right. this idiot Jason Miller was my intern, which, you know, uh, yeah. right. my, my, my former partners constantly remind me that, like, remember you like Jason. <laughs> right. Didn't like you Corey we thought Jason was weird, but you liked him. So. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, <laughs> but look, um, I, I look at the Republic. I think, first of all, I think when we were in the middle of these things, it's always difficult to realize that you're in the middle of a big moment. But I think that we are in a moment unlike any in American history, certainly modern political history. And that is the complete moral collapse of a political party and we haven't seen anything like this uh the only thing i can compare it to when i look around is the soviet union and communism that what the, what the party said it stood for and what the experience that it delivered was so disparate that it just collapsed right right uh, i mean watch chernobyl um and i i think that's what's happened now in the republican party so uh, another analogy i'd use it's sort of like the subprime mortgage crisis it's easier to predict how it ends than how long it takes i mean it is possible that trump could win again but you know i came across a statistic recently that just i, I just it just floored me hmm. of americans 15 years and under the majority are non-white now hmm. odds are really not bad that they're going to turn 18 and remain non-white and <laughs> what, what what is that going to mean for the republican party yeah it's it's just a stage four cancer. And so when I people say, what's going to happen to the Republican Party? I say, well, we know what's going to happen. Look at California. So, I mean, right. California, not very long ago, was the beating soul and heart of the Republican Party. Hmm. It was the electoral citadel. And where's right. the Republican right. Party now? It's in third place. Right. Third, it's not green, second. <laughs> I mean, and and equally important it's irrelevant to any discussions of major consequence in california right it doesn't really matter what republicans think um and i think that that's happening now uh will happen in america now there'll be a republican party and they'll win races and they'll, but until it changes so to me there's really three parties in the country you know there's two parties inside the democratic party and then there's the republican party and to me, the future of this country in a policy sense and all of that is going to be decided by that debate within a Democratic Party. I don't think Republicans are going to really be relevant to it. So, like, well, take, my, my, take health health care, right? So in 20 years, are we going to have national health insurance in America? Are we going to be the only country in the Western world that doesn't? No, of course we're going to have national health insurance. It's inevitable. Now, what that's going to be is going to be decided by the debate in the Democratic Party. I mean, Republicans have never even come up with an alternative. All they're going to do is say no, and it won't matter. Right. But whether or not it's going to, you know, the vision of what it's going to be is going to be hashed out in the Democratic Party. Well, my concern, Stuart, is also, again, one-party states don't work, and they inevitably yeah. lead to corruption. And so we need that, you know, I mean, I, you know, I go back to the sort of 90s even, and 
what we'd be debating, we're all, we, we, at least most of us operated from the same set of facts. There are exceptions, but most of us did. And so we debate, how do we do immigration reform? Or how do we deal with climate issues? You know, the Democrats are, are believe that, that, that we need the government to step in with a carbon tax. Republicans believe that we should do cap and trade. You know, I, ironically enough, the guy who worked for Mitt Romney, um, you know, was the one who, who kind of was the first to offer the Republican alternative on healthcare, which was more market friendly, which ended up, of course, becoming Obamacare, our right. folks want there to, to, you know, to be Medicare for all or whatever. So, but there, it, we used to have these debates, and I think those debates keep parties honest. And so, who represents the the sort of center center right of the Republican Party if they all end up becoming Democrats? I mean, is it just going to be you know big debates within the Democratic Party? We have no nobody representing that perspective in the Republican Party. I don't know where we go there because it's needed. Well, I, we need I think. Look, I, here's the way I look at it. So take Elizabeth Warren. She can articulate a theory of government. You can hate that. You can love it. You, but you can argue with her. And she can defend it. Right. And it's coherent. Right. It, it is a, a vision of what government should be and the role government should play in our lives. Okay, folks, we need to stop for a quick break, and then we'll be right back with Stuart Stevens. But first... Unfortunately, COVID-19 infection rates are exploding across the nation. We know it's common sense that everyone wear a mask. And finally, most states have put mask mandates in place. I don't know that that's totally true. A lot, some, a lot of it's growing. At least uh, Louisiana, I think, just did it, which was good. Face masks are still our best way to protect ourselves, our family, and our community. But what happens when the mask you thought you were buying is fraudulent or worthless? The FDA has provided a list of authorized respirator mask manufacturers. Finding those masks has been a challenge and verifying their authenticity even harder. Right now, the NewDealShop.com has FDA-authorized respirator masks with anti-fake authentication on every package to ensure you're getting exactly what you need. These masks are tested by the NPPTL in the United States and provide greater than 95% filtration. They've even been used in the medical community. Right now, these masks are in stock and shipped for free for our listeners when you add the code SEXYLIBERAL. Go to the newdealshop.com and order your supply today. That's the newdealshop.com. Get them and keep yourself, your family, and your community safe. And nice Cliff, voice, our other sponsor is Drumroll, please. Well, I won't tell you exactly right away who they are, but you know what I will say? You know what I hate, John? What do you hate, Cliff? What I hate is when my, your social media pops up with summer vacation pics from five years ago. They're great memories, but ugh. ugh. It's like. When do these wrinkles and bags around my eyes show up? Delete. Delete. I, I hit delete. Not this summer, guys. No. No more pop-up pics of me with deep wrinkles, fine lines, and bags under my eyes. And no, I did not get surgery. I got Plexiderm. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags, all in the comfort of your home in minutes. It goes on clear and lasts for hours, and nobody will know your secret. The results will blow you away. Get Plexiderm and love how you look this summer in mirrors and in photos. Go to tryplexiderm.com and use the code VOICES for half off a full bottle plus an additional $10 off or try the $14.95 trial pack by calling 1-800-685-1292 and also mention the code VOICES. Again, folks, visit tryplexiderm.com, use the code VOICES for half off a full bottle plus an additional $10 off or call 1-800-685-1292 and get a $14.95, $14.95 trial pack when you use the code VOICES and you'll look as beautiful as John Aravosis. That's it, folks. All right. Thanks. We are now back to Stuart Stevens. You know, the way I look at this, you look at Elizabeth Warren. Um, 
Oh, right. She right. can articulate. Yeah, she she can articulate a theory of government. Uh, you can argue with it. You can think it's terrible. You can think it's great. But there's a coherent, uh, logical view of the role of government in our lives. I don't know anybody on the Republican side who can do that um, with any credibility. Um, and, and until you have that, uh, I, I don't think that there really is any uh, reason for a center-right party to exist except to not be Democrats. Um, right. I mean, you, you could say, I think this really, in many ways, you trace it back. Uh, you know, in 2000, um, it, it, the, the Bush campaign, Governor Bush, really wrestled with what it meant to be a conservative then. So... To some degree, uh, conservatives were uh, a victim of their own success. So the Cold War was over. Um, we sort of won that. Uh, welfare was a big conservative issue, but Bill Clinton instituted welfare reform. Taxes were certainly lower than the 70% they'd been. Um, crime, that was a big conservative issue. Crime was going down, continued to go down. Um, so it sort of had to reinvent itself. And I think that uh, in the Bush campaign, they really struggled with that, what that would be, um, and try to come up with a new formulation. Um, that was all cut short by 9-11. Right. And, you know, you can argue without 9-11 that, that uh, President Bush could have continued down a path like No Child <clears throat> Left Behind to try to define a new conservatism. But it didn't happen. And now... I have no idea what it means to be a conservative in America. And I think right. until that is um, redefined in a positive way, and I don't see it happening anytime soon. I mean, if you look <laughs> at these people running in 2024, I mean, Josh Hawley from Missouri. Ugh, yeah. So here's, you know, here, here's a guy who went to Stanford taught at St. George's in London, founded like 14-something, then went to uh, Yale Law School, published a very good little biography of Teddy Roosevelt at age 28, published by Yale University Press, hmm. and he's running against the elites. <laughs> really? He's a man really, of the people, Josh? that guy. <laughs> really, really? Really, Josh? You know, Stanford, St. George's, Yale, and you're like going to run against the elites? Yeah. And... Uh, you know, just in a demographic sense, uh, the core of of Republican Party is the fastest declining large demographic in America: white, non college educated. Um, so I just don't think that it's a a party with the future as it's currently defined. I think that a lot of us think that, and the only question becomes what happens to it. Um, yeah, and I mean. So let's, I mean, let's say that even if, you know, Trump does lose, you know, we all know one thing about Donald Trump is he, he'll burn everything down with him. He, you know, totally. he, he hates the world. So he's not, that, this is the thing I never get about the ones that are kind of kowtowing to him right now, which is he'll still, unless he passes away, he'll still be there after being president with his stupid Twitter account and he'll still be able to go on Fox Yep. Certainly Fox and Friends. So he'll still – it's not like when these guys say we just need to get past Trump. There is no getting past Trump. There is no person. No. Even uh, if he's I, not in I office. At, <laughs> Go ahead. Trump is George Wallace. And, uh, you know, actually, George Wallace, I'm from Mississippi. You know, he did some good things as governor. He passed free textbooks. 
but nobody's remembered as the free textbook George Wallace guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were the George Wallace guy. And I think that's exactly how it is with Trump. You can't negotiate with Trump. Trump is segregation. And I, I grew up in Mississippi. I knew a lot of nice people. They wouldn't have uh, said a, uh, a harsh word to an African-American. They would never have used a racial slur. Um, they did a lot of good things in charity to help those who were you know, African-Americans, but they were segregationists. And so I look at the difference, say, take Josh Hawley, who supports the Trump agenda and supports Trump. Versus Susan Collins, who supports the Trump agenda, but doesn't support Trump. <laughs> I don't know, guys. I mean, it's like not a big, that's a short walk. To hear the rest of this episode, become a premium subscriber to the Unprecedented Podcast by going to patreon.com slash unprecedentedpodcast. And with a $5 a month or more subscription, you not only support the show, but you get access to this episode and all of our premium episodes, including all of our great guests. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your support.